Welcome to Drink This Beer, a show dedicated to craft beer and the people who make it. Each episode, we'll get the stories behind the brews you love. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? And welcome to Drink This Beer. It's the podcast that talks to the brewers of the beer and other beverages that you love to drink. I'm Aaron Williams. And I'm Tim Dennis. And on this show, we're talking mead, one of those other beverages. Exactly. The good that stuff. That people love to drink. And mead's getting more popular, Aaron. Yeah. More and more. We're seeing meaderies pop up around. And we're going to be talking to Sergio Motella. Sergio is the owner and the mead maker at New Jersey's Melovino Meadery. Uh, Sergio, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. No, definitely. So, so mead. Uh, we've talked about it before on the show. We've had a couple of, of meaderies on the show. Uh, it seems like it's a beverage that's steadily growing in popularity. Is that something that you're seeing, Sergio? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm actually on the board of directors for the American Mead Makers Association, and we're seeing tremendous growth every year. Uh, actually, right now, uh, there's a new meadery opening every three days in this country. So now something, a question we've got here, because it's something we love, and being in Georgia is something we've had trial by fire with, is alcohol laws. And when you opened Melovino, you actually, that wasn't even allowed in New Jersey. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, so basically, very long story short, uh, the, the winery license in New Jersey didn't uh, only accounted for wines made from grapes or other fruits. So a wine made from honey didn't fall under that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I met with the uh, the state liquor control and met with the director and long story short, got him to issue us a special permit to actually start manufacturing meat in the state of New Jersey. And, and since then, there's been other meaderies that have been wanting to open up, but uh, there was never really a change to the to the, the way the license um, language was written. So we took it upon ourselves. We actually met with some lawmakers and uh, got a bill introduced and passed to create an actual metery license, standalone metery license uh, for meteries to start opening up throughout the state now as well. Now, it's always interesting, like you said, I mean, state laws are always kind of quirky sometimes, and they sometimes are actually oftentimes can be beyond or, or at least uh, catching up to what uh, things or trends are going in modern modernity. So uh, it's interesting that you've actually been able to get your own metery license because I'm sure probably something that the lawmakers had any idea of what uh, what they were expecting. Yeah, that was, it was a long shot, but uh, yeah. we, we made it happen. I'm, I'm a very persistent person, as you might end up finding out. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we have a few here in Georgia, as I mentioned earlier, and our meteries fall over. We have the farm winery exemption here, which gave different laws yeah. to, you know, our wineries that owned, you know, vineyards in the state or had interest in that, and meteries that had a, uh, what's a apiary, right? That's right. I believe it's what it's called, that, that, it is yep. an apiary, yeah. and it involves no, apes. no monkeys. No apes at all. Which is exactly. so disappointing. So, but uh, <laughs> So if they had property with the apiary, you know, they produce the honey here, they could fall under that farm winery exemption. But it seems like every state plays a little differently with all of that stuff. So, Yeah, that's, uh, that's what we've seen as well. I mean, most states overall uh, definitely, uh, they have mead fall under their state winery license. So... You can not only make mead, but you can make hard cider and, and grape wine and fruit wines, what, what have you. 
but yeah, New Jersey is one of those, I think one of the only two states that really didn't account for, for Mead in the way their existing winery license was uh, written. Interesting. Now, Melavino got started with a Kickstarter campaign, and we see this was back in 2013, so Kickstarter was a little less popular, I guess may be the right words to use yeah. it, not as many people using it, uh, but it was successful for you, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and definitely wasn't as popular back then, especially yeah. with all the success I see of these new guys having on there now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we got started. Uh, we had a good amount of capital put into it, but... Uh, we ended up finding out, just like every other business owner uh, finds out, it definitely costs at least two or three times more than you're expecting. So, yeah, we ended up uh, putting out a Kickstarter, not literally to launch our business, but actually just uh, give us that, that little bit of extra capital that we needed just to pay for our initial batches, basically. So it was all based, uh, went towards our ingredients and, and bottles and closures and labels and all that stuff. There's well, always something when you do that you could use just a little bit more money, right? What, what was that again? I said there's always something when you're opening a brewery, meadery, or whatever. Just a little more cash would always be nice, correct? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then when you when you consider you know applying for almost any kind of liquor production license, uh, you know one of the caveats is you need to have a a lease or a mortgage on uh, on a space before you can right. even apply mm -hmm. for it. It's one of the requirements for the applications, for both on state and federal level. So. You know, they, they kind of drag their feet with application processing times, and depending on the time of year, you know, it could take, you know, six months, it could take three months, but it could also take 12. Uh, so you're paying rent every month on a commercial space and just waiting for them to, you know, process that application, and only then can you legally actually start filling your tanks, you know? You mean the government takes a long time to do some things sometimes? I've that's, never heard that that's before. That's so strange. Must yeah. just be something specific with meteries yeah. in New Jersey, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, Sergio, uh, your mead. So, kind of what sets your mead apart or what's special about uh, Melavino? Uh, so, I, I come from a, a Portuguese background, um, first generation born here in the U.S., and you know, growing up, I always uh, used to help my grandfather make wine every year, so that's how I kind of got into fermentation. Uh, you know, however however involved you could say, like a five or six-year-old got, you know, helping his grandfather sure. make wine. But we did stomp grapes and all that. and uh, So that was really cool, and that really stuck, uh, you know, with me throughout my, um, into my adult years. So then I started making wine myself, got kind of bored with it because it's, uh, say, sir, wine could be a little boring, uh, especially when you consider, you know, compare it to brewing beer. Uh, so I ended up finding my way into, uh, you know, beer brewing and got into craft beer. And I said, wow, you know, it's like the, the window of creativity here is wide open. And um, through that, I, I discovered Mead on online forums and whatnot, you know, homebrewtalk.com, just to name one. And I saw these people talking about this thing called Mead. And I said, what is this? And I looked into it, started dabbling in it, and, you know, I, I found a, a much easier time making great mead than, than I made uh, uh, beer. Uh, I always kind of, uh, you know, associated beer with, like, baking, uh, but mead is more like brewing. So beer is all, like, time, temperature, and volumes, and, sure. you know. Sure, I understand. So yeah, it, yeah. It, you, you can't mess. You can't mess with the recipes too much uh, if you want, you know, to get a specific result out of it. So. Uh, but with mead making, it's like cooking. It's, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Oh, even if it's done, we can still add something or we can blend and we can do whatever we want. And it was a lot more familiar ingredients rather than, you know, trying to get acquainted with, oh, wow, okay, well, 
you know, this is special B, this is uh, honey malt, this is this malt, and all the specialty malts on base malts and all the hops. And it, it was it was definitely new to me, but with weed making, it was, oh, wow, this is honey. This is different types of honey. This is raspberry. This is vanilla. You know, it was, it was ingredients that I was a lot more familiar with, hence why I, I think I had a really a much easier time kind of honing in my craft with the mead making side of things. Yeah, and Sergio, we've talked to some eateries before, and they say that, like the actual honey that is is a huge difference. Uh, there could be just a, a really big difference of the types of honey that you make or that you're you're making your mead from that can uh, that the flavor can uh, can profile can move through. Oh, for sure. I mean, just uh, to look at kind of like polar opposites here. Uh, so you take like a buckwheat honey, very very dark, molassesy, malty. Um, which, you know, at least Eastern buckwheat honey can, you know, not even exaggerating here, can smell and taste very barnyard. It mm-hmm. tastes kind of like a petting zoo meets horse's ass. <laughs> and, uh, Delicious. <laughs> That's so, so enticing. And, and then you have like orange blossom honey, right, which is nice and citrusy and floral and, and really, really beautiful honey. Now, you can imagine that those two honey varietals make very completely different meads. So, obviously, those are drastic differences, but, you know, every honey varietal does have its own nuances. So, it it does play a very, very big part. And a lot of the times, we actually even like blending honeys. There's very few recipes that we make here that we actually use just one honey varietal. Uh, We play with different honey combinations and blends just to add more and more complexity. And do you have any uh, honeys that are or or meads that are kind of uh, native to Jersey? Uh, we did once. We did a New Jersey wildflower honey traditional mead just to showcase the honey. Uh, that was about it. Uh, we we haven't done anything that's just all Jersey just yet. Now, Sergio, we would like to be sipping some of your mead right now because you were kind enough to send us some. However, UPS was not kind enough to to get out on the 16th <laughs> inch of ice on the Atlanta roads to get it to us. So we're still waiting on that. Um, we'll, we'll enjoy that soon. But I did see, I was looking at your website, and I saw one. Brian, I know you'd probably love this one. A 24% coffee mead. Yes. Yes. So yeah. tell us. Oh, that yes. sounds like that. You know, that sounds like it's asking for a little bit of trouble. I need to know what kind of coffee is in there. <laughs> see, see. So how'd that one come about? Because that's pretty extreme on the ABV level for a mead there. So. Yeah. So you know, looking at um, you know the regulations for a federally licensed winery, you know, I was always curious because um, a lot of customers started asking us, you know, well, how strong can mead be? And I said, well, as long as we can legally make it to, I guess. Uh, you know, it could mead could be as low as you know, however low you want it, really, and or as high as you want it. But legally, uh, I looked into it and I saw, as a federally licensed winery, we can legally make anything up to 24% alcohol. So I said, you know what, we're going to go to 24%. <laughs> nice. You know, let's just do it. Uh, so we actually we made three different uh, 24 alcohol, uh, 24% alcohol meads. One was a straight honey mead. One was a uh, a mixed berry mead, and the other one was our coffee mead. Uh, so basically, we made our meads as as we would, and then we f- uh, freeze concentrated them. Basically, okay. Uh, so we froze yeah. them solid. Um, you know, we were actually we doing this in very small batches, basically in in half barrel kegs, actually, in a, in a chest freezer. And it would take about a week for that for that keg to freeze solid, and then we would just invert it and let everything drain out and leave the ice behind. And what we got was a 24% alcohol freeze concentrated meat, kind of like ice, you know, ice wine or, you know, ice cider. Um, 
See, that's I was going to ask that because I didn't think you could get that high with honey through tra- traditional fermentation. I mean, even if you, you drink, could, you could okay. get it up that high. Okay, all right. You Just, could. I've accidentally gotten up to twenty without, without okay. wanting to. Okay, Ac- accidentally <laughs> air quotes there. So right, I have to keep that one for myself. Exactly. Yeah. That was that was a bad batch. Now you know something we're seeing here, Sergio. It seems like there's kind of a shift in. The mead drinker and the type of meads that are being, you know, put out. When when we first started looking into mead, and we've mentioned this a few times on the show. For those that listen to us regularly, they probably think this is a broken record. But Brian and I dabble in mead making, and we've you, you mentioned homebrew talk, so you've probably seen this recipe: the Joe's Ancient Orange Mead. So yep, we yep. use a variation of that, and we've produced some really nice meads out of it. They're they're on the sweet side, you know, pretty full bodied and sweet with what we've done. But uh, you know, people seem to really enjoy them. We've played with a lot of flavor combinations in that. But we're seeing from local meaderies that uh, we had one that did a session mead recently, a sparkling session mead that they put into cans. Uh, we're seeing that oh, the, yeah. that meads are going beyond the Renaissance Festival. You know, more and more people are getting them. So. Are you seeing that as well? Is there a changing kind of uh, uh, personality to, to mead itself oh, yeah, and to absolutely. mead drinkers? You know, one, one of the coolest things about mead is it can literally be anything you want it to be. It's, you know, you can make everything from an apple pie mead to, you know, a sweet mead aged on ghost peppers to cold brewed espresso infused mead, peanut butter and jelly uh, meads. You know, that's kind of like the next big trend. Uh, session meads also. I mean, that's actually been started quite a few years ago. You know, okay. Redstone yeah. Meadery out in out in Colorado has been doing that since God knows when. Bee Nectar uh, out in Michigan mm-hmm. is uh, right. probably the meadery that really made it go mainstream. You know, uh, they're very like, you know, like subculture, real like, you know, just very cool label art. And there's always a story behind each, each mead recipe and all that. I think they're the ones who really kind of like made session meads what they are. And uh, especially with a lot of these new startups, it's a really great option for them to focus on session meads because number one, it's quicker turnaround, it's cheaper to make. Uh, you know, you're not going as high in alcohol, so you need less sugar, meaning less honey, and um, and it's a really good bridge for you know getting a craft beer drinker to try mead. You know, especially if they've only had it at Renaissance fairs. Yeah. Uh, they've had like you know the, the cloyingly sweet, you know, very generic, you know, twelve dollars for a 750 milliliter bottle of mead at a Renaissance fair. It's that super sweet. Uh, you know, it's, it's that it's that a, kind of yeah, that cloyingly sweet type of mead that you that you normally associate with sometimes. Yeah, you need balance. If you're going to yeah. have sweet, you need some like acidity and or tannin to, to kind of balance that out. I mean, we have a mead that. You know, I was actually just taking a taste of it because we were um, we're about to enter it into the Mazer Cup International, which is the biggest meat competition in the world. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm tasting it again, trying to, you know, pick out exactly how it's aged, how to describe it for the judges. And, I mean, the final gravity on this is like just over 1040, mm-hmm. but it tastes like a semi-sweet mead because of all the acidity and the tannins from the fruit. Uh, it doesn't taste like it's a, a 1040-plus final gravity mead where it should be like sickly sweet uh, already at that point. Uh, so it all kind of, it all comes down to balance uh, as far as that goes. But the whole session meat thing, yeah, I think that's what's really going to be like uh, the biggest portion of, of meads that are going to be released within the next, let's say, three to five years. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be more and more session meats on the market. Uh, a lot of them are going in cans. Uh, we are as well, actually. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of our session meads and cans. We're even specializing in doing like beer style meads. 
where it's literally just honey, water, and hops. But we're literally brewing them just like a beer, but uh, just using honey instead of like malt extract, for example. So it's like we're brewing extract batches of beer, essentially. So, Sergio, yeah, um, actually, I noticed this. Uh, you're going to be pouring at the Day of the Juice Festival that's uh, here in our uh, home yeah. city of Atlanta. And it's an all-IPA yeah. fest, but uh, you're going to be pouring an IPA mead? I'm curious about yeah, that. Yeah, which was one of the can- one of the meads that I actually sent you for you guys to drink today. Okay. Is that an IPM? An, an India Pale Mead? Yeah, I like that. Well, there you go. Yeah, the, all ter- right. the term is up there. Yeah, I guess IPM okay. would, uh, would, would make the most sense, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I actually, um, I sent you an IPA meet that we made. We've been making quite a few different ones. We play, our, play around a lot with those. And um, I went out to Michigan last June, and I had Bell's Two-Hearted Ale for the first time, as mm-hmm. fresh as can be. Okay. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is such a great beer. And, you know, all my, my distributor, my sales guys, they're all laughing at me because they're like, yeah. it is a great beer. You know, we kind of take it for granted. Yeah, exactly. We We've right. added it all to the place. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's, we went out to dinner. But I was for... like, you know, it was like, it was transcending. I was like, oh, wow, yeah. this is a freaking amazing beer. And... Uh, experience and you know we actually made kind of like a clone of that but in mead style obviously so it's, that's interesting it's i'll a, have to check that out it's yeah. basically all centennial hopped and dry hopped you know ipa mead that we called one-minded instead of two-hearted okay nice that's uh we i know what you mean about those beers you know that people kind of making fun of you for that we went out to uh denver for gabf and we went to falling rock tap house uh and they had a uh, pliny fresh Pliny on tap yeah and I've had Pliny from the bottle 20 times or more you know but uh, there was just something about that getting that fresh you know that they had they just got it in there for that that it was a kind of a sublime experience for us southerners we don't get that very often we don't see it over here absolutely (laughs) not right absolutely now that's the next that's the next clone that we're actually oh there you go all right nice Pliny Pliny the elder mead clone honey the elder there you go so you got that please send that directly to us (laughs) right (laughs) now you actually wrote a book on mead is that correct uh, what i'm sorry you wrote a book on mead no no not a book uh we have i have a website okay uh, so uh-huh. i've done two things essentially so uh, i have a website called meadmaderight.com gotcha and right. it basically entails um uh in short basically uh the nutrient regimen that i kind of put together and implemented here at melovino uh, so long story short, you know, staggered nutrient additions came into the mead scene about, let's say, I don't know, seven years ago now, eight years ago, maybe. And it took like a one to two year uh, process before a mead was really ready to drink down to about like four months or so. And the nutrient regimen that I kind of created can actually cut that down almost to about three or four weeks instead of months. And it's basically, it's, it's a very tailored uh, nutrient regimen specifically to each and every recipe that you're making instead of like a cookie cutter nutrient regimen uh, like what existed before. Uh, so that's meadmaderight.com. And I have like, you know, some like recipe guides if you want to make a sweet, semi-sweet or dry mead. Uh, but another thing I've done was, you know, since day one of opening Melovino, every two months I wrote a blog uh, it was basically like, you know, what I've learned in two months, what I've learned in four months, yada, yada. And uh, I did that for two years. And I basically just gave everybody an insight into everything that's been going on and what I've learned and, you know, the, the highs and lows and stuff like that. It basically gave everybody an insight into what it is to kind of like open and run a meadery for two years. 
and it's like a small business, you know, I mean, it's just, it's not necessarily a beer or a mead blog. It's, it's, it's how to run a small business too, because there's so many things that can translate into, uh, you know, into other, uh, uh, industries as well. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a how to, uh, yeah. you know, at that it's, it was just almost kind of more of like, you know, diary entries essentially. Right. Um, today I made, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a big help to a lot of people that, you know, been wanting to open a meadery and, you know, sometimes they have a lot of questions that they, they wish they had, you know, the, the courage to, to lay out like 20 or 40 questions to like professional meadery owners. And, you know, granted in the beginning, I was still very, very much a newbie, uh, but, you know, I was out there sharing this information and you know, a lot of people got a lot of help out of it. So you were talking about the nutrient schedule, uh, adding to the mead to, uh, basically, make the efficiency as good as 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 big as it possibly could be i noticed that you're using uh reverse osmosis water at least least it mentioned that on your website so are you building up a water profile that's like advantageous to mead or is what what's what's happening there is it is it just pure reverse osmosis mead or reverse osmosis water from the beginning yeah, we're using straight reverse osmosis water. Uh, I mean, honestly, the only things we're adding to it besides the honey and juices or fruits, uh, depending on the recipe, is the nutrients. Uh, that's, okay. That, that's all we're doing. But we would have been adding those nutrients in the same amounts, whether regardless of any kind of water that we were using. But, no, we use, uh, we use all just straight reverse osmosis water here at the meadery. And we've done that since day one. Uh, you know, I, I've spoken with Gordon Strong about this uh you know, during my planning stages of uh, for Melovino, and uh, you know, Gordon Strong, I'm you know, I'm sure he has no Gordon Strong. Oh, yes. but three year, three year in a row, and Coffee winner at NHC, and you know, he made some uh, really incredible meads as well. And I've noticed, I noticed once from one of his um, you know PowerPoint presentations that I found online that he uses all reverse osmosis water as well, and I was very intrigued by that. So. You know, I contacted him, and he was very friendly to uh, to kind of give me some feedback and, you know, talk back and forth with me on that. And he said how, yeah, it, still, it makes incredible meats, and this guy's winning, you know, golds uh, left and right for him. Sure. So I said, you know what, I think I'm going to give that a try, and I really like the results. It's It gives me a very, very consistent starting point for every single recipe that I make. That's what I like the most of it. And, uh, and on top of it, we had to do something with our water in our current location here anyway, uh, just because we had extremely hard water over here. So we knew we had to install some kind of filtration system anyway. So I figured, you know what, after my talks with Gordon Strong, I said, why not just go full RO? And we've we never looked back. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, I know, you know, the, the building up water profiles is always a big thing with brewing and that. So, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Water chemistry is almost, almost every, it can make or break. Absolutely. In, uh, Definitely. Brewing, in the brewing world, yeah. Now, talking of the honey side of things, what exactly is True Source Certified Honey? So it's basically a certification program that, you know, apiaries and honey suppliers have to go through, um, you know, very, very, uh, you know, tough certification to kind of keep up with and get. Uh, so, I mean, basically it just ensures the end consumers that, you know, whether they're on the commercial side or, or personal side of things that, you know, the honey that is true source certified is, wasn't adulterated in any way or like imported from a third country and, um, I don't know if you guys have seen like the uh, the new Netflix documentary Rotten. Uh, the first episode of that was actually all about honey, and I've huh. I've actually known this for years before I even heard of me. But you know, uh, a very 
you know, crappy adulterated honey, which a lot of the times is either just all like, well, started off as corn syrup that was added to honey to basically increase volume. So instead of having a thousand pounds of honey, you can have, you know, 3,000 pounds of honey, but 2,000 pounds of that is high fructose uh, corn syrup. And then, you know, they caught on to that and then the, uh, the tests that they were running uh, basically were able to pick that out. And, um, and then the Chinese got real clever and started adding rice syrup instead. And that wasn't detectable by the tests. And, and then the U.S. implemented import tariffs, crazy high import tariffs for any honey coming from China. So instead of shipping it straight to the U.S. from China, they'll ship it to, like, Malaysia or, or India or There's anywhere always else. always a way around of these things. There. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah, actually so heard about this, and I've not watched an episode of that. I've seen that it is on Netflix, and now I think I have to watch it. Yeah, check it out. I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah I'm this. always cautious of food products that come from third world countries, you know, or that. Like, I look at uh, fish. Oddly yeah. is one yes. like tilapia. They farm a lot of that in Asia. I don't know, man. I think oh, I want yeah. my fish and my honey and stuff from uh, as local as possible. As that's local what I try, as possible. That's, right. that's what I right. try to do as well. So. Yeah. yeah, which is why I have a pond and an apiary. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so could, so, a, yeah. could a home brewer or a home uh, mazer? Mazer, I, I think, a is the right mazer, word. Yeah. Could they find the, this same kind of honey on the shelf in a local grocery store, or is this is this something you have to go to another like commercial size? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all over. You know, the, the the fake honey out there, it's all over the place, even in big box stores. So, you know, the the, the more local you can source your honey, especially direct from a beekeeper, uh, is the best honey that you're ever going to get. Um, and to and to correct something there, I know a lot. The word mazer is thrown around a lot as someone who makes mead. A mazer is not that at all. Uh, a mazer is basically the the cup, almost kind of like a challenge. Oh, okay. to the, I learned, man. Yeah, absolutely. From, Okay. That word gets thrown around a lot for someone who makes mead, but it would be yeah. the same thing as you know somebody who makes beer to, to call them a stein. A goblet. You know? I'm a goblet. So I, I like yeah. to think of myself as a stein. I'm often a, I'm often yeah. a crunk cup, but that's just me. Crunk cup. <laughs> yes. That's all right. right. <laughs> so we're all getting new names tonight. Right. Perfect. Anyway, hey uh, Sergio, uh, just before we uh, let you go here, uh, you're opening up uh, New Jersey's first ever mead bar. Um, in fact, I'm surprised that you're talking to us this uh, this week because you've got so many things I'm sure going on uh, opening up this. This, uh, this weekend. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm surprised too. Uh, we're definitely <laughs> still under construction oh, uh, good right luck. now as we speak. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we're going to have a long day and night tomorrow and, and uh, early day on Saturday. Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, you know, we've always hosted tours and tastings at the meadery since day one. And uh, they've always been by, you know, by reservation. And it's always been like kind of like a more of a formal tour and tasting. It's a whole presentation, basically. So we would kind of tell everybody about, about what meat is, its history, how we got open as a business, taking them into our, our production area, kind of giving them the 401 on how everything is made, answering any questions. And then a very formal, uh, well, not formal, formal, but, you know, formal but fun uh, tasting. Uh, so they taste six of our meads and we give them full, you know, tasting notes and, you know, the, the story behind each recipe and food pairing ideas, all that. Basically, we did that because when we opened in uh what was it september of 2014 i think is when we actually officially opened our doors it uh you know mead wasn't <laughs> even as little as little as small of an industry as it is today it was mm-hmm. even smaller three years ago um we really felt like there was an education uh that was required here to really educate at least the state of new jersey on what mead was so that's why we did what we did for three years and 
I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one thing. Every single tour that we've done for three years, I've always asked the same two questions at the beginning of each one, which was always, you know, who's uh, heard of mead before and who has tasted mead before. Nobody used to raise their hand, but but nowadays, you know, 85, 90% of the people are raising their hand now. So I know we've done something really big here in New Jersey, just on the education side of things. But after three years, we kind of felt like, you know, we've, we've created enough meatheads up here in Jersey that, uh, you know, we can just open our doors now, open our tasting room, just like any other brewery has an open tap room. And uh, we're doing a lot of session meads, especially a lot of these beer style meads, including like a Belgian wit beer uh, mead, even a porter mead as well, which is very challenging. Uh, so different stuff like that by the bottle, flights, flight samplers, even uh, every once in a while we'll have some um, some vintage uh, vertical flight samplers as well. Where we've, we've built a library of everything that we've bottled, every single batch from day one. Uh, so we could go into our aging room library and pull out and do a vertical flight sampler of the same recipe. And it's going to be really, really cool. We're basically just going to run it like a, like a tap room, like a bar. Nice. Very cool. Now, Sergio, uh, if people want to learn more about Mellow Vino Meadery, what is the best way for them to do that and keep up to date with what's going on? Come to the meadery. <laughs> come to the meadery. That's yeah. it. Now, none of this social media yeah, garbage. Come just come to the meadery, right? You can always check out our Facebook page. We're the most active on there, for sure. Uh, you know, our website is more or less a little stagnant, uh, besides, you know, the, the rotation of, pro- of what beads we have available and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, come by the meadery or, you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook, actually, and, and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, the newsletter is big. Even with over 17,000 followers on Facebook, the way it works, they make you want to they, – they, make you basically pay for all of your followers to see your posts oh yes uh, right so, sure uh so we don't bother with that too much so we uh, we send out occasional newsletters and um whenever there's something big or something new that just got released so uh definitely sign up for the newsletter on our website awesome sergio thank you so much for your time today we've been talking to sergio motello with melovino meadery in Vauxhall, new jersey you've been listening to drink this beer craft beer podcast and we'll talk to you soon cheers Sergio, that was awesome. Thank you. All right, cool. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Definitely. I felt it not feeling right there. Okay, go ahead. I'm trying to think where I need to start. Thanks, Sergio. Yeah. And thanks, Sergio, for joining us this week. We've been talking to Sergio Motello with Melovino Meanery out of Vauxhall, New Jersey. You've been listening to the Drink This Beer Craft Beer Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in with us. Please check us out on the socials. We're at BeerGuysRadio.com, BeerGuysRadio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Drink This Beer. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. More beer stories? Head to BeerGuysRadio.com. Follow the Beer Guys on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Want more craft beer news? Listen to the Beer Guys Radio Show, available every Saturday morning. Drink this beer. Produced and developed by Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams. Part of the Beer Guys Media Radio Network. BeerGuysRadio.com.